Hello and welcome to the Friday, September 11th, 2020, never forget edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, First District Throwdown, Chaos Theory, Football Politics, and Never Forget. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning. Aaron Murphy, Lean Newspaper Statehouse Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics and iTunes on Stitcher. Uh, first up, first district throwdown. Um, there were a few punches thrown in the Labor Day debate between Democratic Representative Abby Finkenauer and her GOP challenger, State Representative Ashley Hinson. Uh, Aaron, you watched the debate. Uh, did punches land? Did either candidate get bloodied? Um, it was, to me anyways, it was interesting in that it was a, a largely um, cordial uh, debate. There was even one moment where um, Abby Finkenauer thanked Ashley Hinson uh, for her vote in support of racial justice legislation um, during the, uh, uh, the legislative session uh, this past spring. Um now that said, they did uh, t- try to take their um, uh, cracks at each other. Um, the, the, the one moment that maybe stood out for me was it was interesting the way they differed a little bit on on, on pandemic response um, efforts and kind of the next round of uh, federal relief. Um, Henson saying, um, you know, there's not an unlimited pot of money and we need to be targeted um, and and Finkenauer is saying, um, you know, regardless of the price tag, we have some priorities we need to manage, uh, and that needs to be uh, first and foremost. Um, uh, so I, I, I don't know. Overall, I, I didn't see a whole lot of – that was maybe the only thing. You know, you look at these debates, and so much of it is playing to their bases, and, and so there was plenty of that, and, you know, they said – Abby said things that Democrats are going to like, and Ashley said things that Republicans are going to like. Um, you know, I try to look for those uh, moments where, you know, what does someone who's maybe undecided in this race uh, care about? And and that was one of those topics, I thought. So their inter- answers, different answers there was interesting. Um, I don't know, Jim, let me turn it back to you. You were uh, a panelist on that. What did you think? Well, sometimes when you're a panelist on those things, it, it's hard to... You know, that's you, true your perspective is different but i, I agree with you aaron um there were um a few moments where they talked about each other's records votes they had taken in the iowa house um yes. on collective bargaining for example uh was one and, and uh the, so they and they talked about minimum wage and some of those issues that had come up in the, when they were both in the iowa house um you, you know this I don't know if it really uh, changed anybody's idea and the, the idea that if people are just tuning in, I don't think they were probably tuning in at eight o'clock on Labor Day. Um, yeah. I mean, the timing of this debate, uh, unfortunately, was not um, voter friendly, I guess I would say. Um, so, you know, and maybe, um, you know, if people actually watched it, if they go back and watch it, um, you know, they'll get a, a sense of who these candidates are. For the most part, though, I think you're right that um, they basically laid out the positions of their respective parties on things like uh, pandemic response and, and other it, issues that came up during the debate. 
Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you noticed because that reminded me there that moment in the debate, and I was watching and listening, and I thought to myself, so I'm watching James Lynch and Kay Henderson uh, talk to Ashley Henson and Abby Finkenauer about uh, collective bargaining and um, <laughs> workers' compensation. I thought, hey, my time machine works. It's, it's two years ago. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Todd, uh, this is a race that some political handicappers have uh, rated as a toss-up, even though there's a Democratic incumbent. Do you think this debate moved the needle one way or another? I, I don't think so. I mean, I agree with what each of you said that, it, for one, it's it's questionable how many people tuned in or, or caught up with it later. Uh, you know, there, there weren't any big, you know, moments that are making their way around social media from either camp. Uh, they both, of course, declared victory, which is what you do. And, uh, but yeah, I, I think, as Aaron alluded to earlier, I, I think, I don't think there's any persuadable voters who saw that and, and, and changed their mind. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a good debate in that they got a chance to talk about their stands on issues and, and where they differ. But um, yeah, as far as sort of changing the game, I don't, I don't think that happened. And that, and now the issue is uh, whether they'll have more debates. Uh, there have been offers made to host debates, but uh, so far there's been no agreement on actually having a second debate. Um, so I, I, that might be the issue for the rest of the campaign. Who knows? Yeah. It's Next up. Another, another issue that persuadable voters care about so much is how many debates they have. Yeah. <laughs> I like debates. I want them to have more, but I don't, I I don't know that you can drum up much interest in that issue, but so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, moving right along here, chaos theory. Uh, a delegation of Trump surrogates is rolling across Iowa this week, warning that Democrats want chaos in the street and want to steal the election. Brett, uh, you uh, were there for the, I guess, the kickoff of that tour over in Sioux City. Uh, that's a pretty dire warning. Is that the extent of the message or did they also make a case for Donald Trump? Was there a positive message? Yeah, it kind of reminded me a, a little bit of um, there was the, the interview with Trump. Um, I can't remember if it was Hannity or who it was a, a few weeks ago or maybe a few months ago in the summertime. But he was um, given the question of, you know, why do you want four more years? And he kind of whiffed on that because it wasn't a, a long list. He, you know, he had, had to be kind of prodded to 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 um, you know, make, you know, here's some issues that I think I could do well on. And there was a little bit of that at this, at the kickoff that I saw here in Sioux City. Um, they talked about Donald Trump, but not a lot of specifics um, until prompted by one by one question from me in, in the stand-up that we did um, outside the actual rally itself. But yeah, it was a pretty pretty dark tone. Um, um, again, using they used the word. Um, one woman used the word chaos several times of how um, you know, Democrats want chaos. They want chaos in the streets. They want chaos in, on election night. It's, um, that's a pretty close paraphrase to what she said. And um, no one mentioned like the Black Lives Movement or, or, or the shooting specifically, but they kind of used uh, code words or kind of phrases that, you know, well-informed Republicans would recognize, you know, to allude to that, so to speak, like they kept talking about big cities, you know, uh, all this, all the, um, the rallies and the, or I'm sorry, protests in the big cities and, 
And then on, on the flip side, there was a lot of talk for being pro-police, being pro-law enforcement in a, in a way that, that Trump was, was for that. So, um, and I don't know, one other thing as, as far as messaging, I, there was several times I kind of forgot that Joe Biden was the, um, was the opponent for Donald Trump because um, the speakers were going off quite a bit on, uh, on some of the typical boogeymen or I suppose boogie women that that the Republicans like to slam. There, there was a lot of barbs for AOC, for the squad, for Nancy Pelosi. And those resulted in some of the bigger applause lines of, of the time because those are those are fairly easy targets that people up here, the you know, red Republicans are not big fans of, of those women in particular. Uh, I'm guessing that in Sioux City, Western Iowa is pretty deep red Trump country. Um, I'm guessing this found a fairly receptive audience. Right. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, and that would be one example of it. Of mm-hmm. that, those, that was one of the bigger applause lines. And um, the, yeah, the people. First of all, we haven't had rallies. You know, and I mean, this wasn't a rally like in a gym sort of thing, but it was. It was in a downtown business. But I would say about not quite fifty people turned up, and you know, they they were definitely ready to hear this message and well received. And you know, there was a woman. Um, who yelled out four more years, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, sort of call and response that was happening during this and, and absolutely a receptive audience. Were, were there any Republican candidates there for like local or state offices? Um, I saw there was uh, one, uh, there's a state house um, for one of the Iowa house uh, Republican candidates was there. Um, Rick Bertrand, a former state Senator okay. was there, um, but not, no, not much. It was, it was a 9 a.m middle of the week morning. So, um, you know, maybe not the easiest time to, for people to turn out for something like that. Yeah. In, in Cedar Rapids Thursday, they didn't seem to talk as much about chaos, but there were warnings that, you know, what you've seen in Portland and Kenosha in Rochester, New York and Iowa city could be coming to your town. If uh, Biden gets elected, um, there, there was that sort of, uh, theme to a lot of the remarks. And, um, I, again, I, I didn't see any candidates, any Republican candidates there that I recognized. There was, you know, probably, I don't know, somewhere between 50 and 70 people, um, you know, crowded into a, a room and uh, maybe 35, 40 percent of them wearing masks. So it was um, uh, I felt like I should be getting combat pay. But uh, uh, Aaron, um, all of this seems to go hand in hand with the law and order argument that Republicans are making uh, for another four years of Donald Trump. Um, but do voters think Democrats and Joe Biden, when they see the news clips out of uh, Portland, Kenosha, Rochester and Iowa City, or do they think this is Donald Trump's America? Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of the interesting um element to all this is the you know the images they they describe and that they show in the campaign ads um these are uh things that are going on right now uh while donald trump is president yet the suggestion is somehow that they'll happen under joe biden or i guess be worse uh uh, under joe biden and it's it i don't know it, it, it just to me it's it's kind of an odd message and it'll be interesting to see if it resonates with voters it, it doesn't seem to yet when you see polling that comes out and if ever there's a question um about um you know those kinds of things and who can handle 
them better. Uh, Joe Biden has actually been doing um, well in those polls and, and, and better than Donald Trump in those polls. So so it 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 doesn't seem at least yet to be a message that's uh, hitting home with the voters the way I would assume that the uh, the Trump campaign is hoping um, it will. But it but it's definitely a message they're pushing and have been uh, when I um, you guys noted the talk in the bus tour when I talked to Eric Branstead, um, who's kind of one of the head um, Trump uh, people in Iowa here. Um, he made the same point, and that was a good month or two ago. So um, it's it's clearly something they want to focus on and, and thinks will help them. I, I just don't see that happening, at least not yet. Mm-hmm. So, Todd, I think this raises the question that if chaos is the threat, where's Maxwell smart when we need him? Yeah, that's a that's a good question and a and a fine old cultural reference, by yes. the way. Although I guess there I guess there was a movie in, in I don't know. That's probably an old cultural reference too, twenty years ago. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you know it's 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 been a bit jarring. We've we've got these folks coming around to talk about chaos and how you know <clears throat> Marxists are going to be occupying my the cul-de-sacs around here at any moment. Uh, and at the same time, we're hearing that. He didn't let the, the nation know the, the seriousness of the virus because he he didn't want anyone to panic. So it's, you know, on the one hand, <clears throat> he wants to sort of shield us from bad news. On the other hand, he wants to take bad, bad news and and amp it up to 11. So uh, it's a little it's a little jarring. And uh, and we can all get it on our phones and not even shoe phones like Maxwell Smart exactly. used to used to have that, that'd be old technology now. I think it was even a rotary dial, wasn't it? <laughs> so, <laughs> imagine what Maxwell would have today. <laughs> so yeah, I'd, you know, Maxwell's smart. I'd, I'd take a, I'd take a smart president. That would that'd be a smart. <laughs> well, <laughs> moving from Maxwell smart to football politics or political football or uh, any number of puns we can make here, but. Apparently, football is where the coronavirus pandemic rubber meets the road. The Biden campaign drafted former Iowa State quarterback Sage Rosenfels to uh, have a news conference to blame President Trump for the fact that there's no Cyhawk football game this year for the first time in 44, 45 years. Um, The the game has been canceled because the University of Iowa is not playing football due to COVID-19. Rosenfels says it's Trump's fault because he failed to contain the pandemic his plan was no plan, and he didn't listen to the experts. Um, Aaron, uh, will Iowans blame the president for the lack of a Cyhawk game? Um, I, you know, um, or, I, I or are they going to blame the University I, of Iowa? Well, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I suspect um, that just as you found out yesterday, not unsurprisingly, the answer to that question will depend on um, the person's political perspective. Um, Sage Rosenfels, who was uh, stumping for Joe Biden, blamed it on the president. And Matt Whitaker, who was stumping for the Republicans and President Trump, uh, said, of course not. The, the president wants him to play football. Of course, he's not to blame. So that, I, I think if you uh, I think that's a it's, a it's a small sample size of two. But I think we can reliably um extrapolate that out to the general population that uh, who you blame for the lack of football is going to depend largely upon your uh, political stripes. It has become an interesting uh, thing though, especially 
um, you see different conferences handling it different ways. And that's that split Iowa into here with Iowa State and the Big 12 playing and Iowa and the Big 10 not, at least not yet. Um, so it's it's created kind of this interesting discussion and debate. And obviously politics has seeped into it and you have Republican legislative leaders and the governors uh, uh, writing letters to the Big Ten, imploring them to play. Um, uh, obviously, uh, the conferences, they all say they're getting their advice from the medical experts. So um, obviously, there's different views from the medical experts out there on whether or not it's it's uh, safe to, uh, to play football. Um, you know, one way or the other, at least, uh, you know, some of the country is. Um, and we're going to find out whether it's safe or not. Uh, uh, so, so it'll be interesting to see, and it'll be interesting to see how the Big Ten handles the mounting pressure uh, to get out there. In, in a way, the arguments around this are less about football and more about the economic impact of the of the lack of football games. Uh, Rosenfels t- and other people on that call talked about the how much money the University of Iowa stands to lose because they're not playing football this year, as well as the impact on businesses, um, you know, the restaurants, the hotels, uh, the bars that rely on those crowds, the, the students who rely on jobs at those bars and restaurants and, and hotels during the football season, uh, and, and so on and so on. And that, you know, this is having, you know, multi-million dollar impacts on, especially Ames and, and uh, Iowa City and, and also Cedar Falls, Waterloo area. Um, so, uh, it, it seems like it's more of an economic argument than a football argument, but, um, uh, the president's, uh, surrogates were quick to defend him saying that Trump, you know, was on the phone with, uh, the big 10 commissioner trying to convince him to play football this year. Um, and, uh, you know, and as you mentioned, uh, Aaron, that, uh, you know, several political, uh, elected officials have, uh, called on the big 10 to play as well. Um, Todd, um, I, I guess, uh, unless the university changes its mind and, and resumes football, you'll be letting all your friends borrow your season tickets this year. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, should the president be blamed, um, for, uh, sort of this hodgepodge of, uh, uh you know, big 12s playing, but the big 10 isn't, uh, you know, some are playing, well, some aren't. I mean, you know, Whitaker came to basically on behalf of the president argue once again that, you know, we should, we shouldn't take this all that seriously. We should just go about our business. And I think you can look around and see how that strategy has worked in the country. The the virus is still in an uncontrolled spread. People are still dying. We're approaching the 200,000 mark. If we, if we haven't already reached it all at this point, Uh, you know, I, I see these the legislative leaders that wrote a letter about the Big Ten, and I mean these are folks that have sat on the sidelines while the governor has failed to control the virus here. But they they seem a lot more interested in how the Big Ten is being operated. So that's <laughs> I guess we all have our priorities, but that you know seems a little odd. Uh, I mean I love college football. I love Big Ten football. I, I I would like to see them play. I you know I have season tickets. I'd like to have them and and, and go to the Kinnick and and watch. But there is a pandemic and it needs to be controlled. And everybody talks about how the economy has got to be brought back, but we're really not going to have an economic recovery in this country until the virus is controlled. And we're not on the road to that. And, and, and both our health and our pocketbooks are, are suffering. So, 
uh, yeah, I'd like to have football, but I'd, I'd rather have uh, the virus under control so we can sort of get back to a semblance of normalcy. And, and it doesn't seem like this president has the same goal. And, and, and it seems that uh, even where they're playing football, I mean, they're going to plans where, you know, they'll have 25,000 people in a stadium that seats 70. So, um, you know, if, if it's your turn to go to a game, it's not going to be the same atmosphere as, uh, you know, no. when you're sitting there with 70,000 other folks cheering. And Well, and usually they, they ban tailgating and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, right. I mean, so, you're, you're probably better off watching it on television anyway. <laughs> so... I say we uh, blame it all on Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. They get blamed for everything. Why not? <laughs> Second the motion. <laughs> blame it on Jerry Jones. You know, it's, there we go. It's a good one to blame for stuff. <laughs> all right. And, and lastly, uh, never forget, uh, back in 2001 when terrorists hijacked planes and crashed them into the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and uh, Pennsylvania Field, we swore we would never forget. To be, f- to be fair, we've been distracted this year with a pandemic that has claimed far more lives than the 9-11 attacks, and more locally, uh, a derecho and all 19 years is not exactly a benchmark anniversary. I'm sure the presidential candidates, their campaigns will issue statements. The president and, and Joe Biden both are going to New York, I guess, to observe the the anniversary. And I've noted on uh, social media this morning that many uh, members of Congress, for example, are uh, uh, issuing statements. But uh, it seems like this is almost a forgotten anniversary this year. If you look at the major news sites uh, on the web, uh, it's not the top story. It's uh, 9-11 stories are well down the pages. Um, Todd, should that concern us? Or will the 20 your observance next year be the real measure of how 9-11 fits into the nation's psyche. Yeah, I, I think it will. I, I, I think this is almost like a little bit of a pause because everybody knows that the 20th anniversary is coming next year and that that's probably going to be marked with a lot of, a lot more ceremony and reflection. And I mean, we tend to like those anniversaries that end in zeros and fives for some reason more than others. So uh, so yeah, I think I think that's going to be actually a, a big moment. Uh, but you know, we we do you know each each year we need to sort of take stock of of you know how of, you know not just what happened that day, but how it affected uh, the country moving forward and what its legacy is now. And I, I have seen some some pieces this week, uh, you know, talking about that. And I think we'll continue to see those each year. But uh, because it, I mean, it did it did bring big changes for better or for worse to the country and, and the way we operate and live. So, uh, yeah, but I expect the 20th anniversary to be, to be a, a pretty big moment. Well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. You can find us on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Dream Thieves will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Brett, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. Stay well.